The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to the book of James. James chapter 3 That's where we'll be this morning. Uh, We come to this passage and we're well aware as we walk through this passage of two really choices that are before us. Jesus talked about the fact that there are two roads. Matthew 7, he talks about that that there is a broad road that leads to destruction. And he also then contrasted that with a narrow way that leads to life eternal. And uh, you're going to see in this passage today that uh, these two roads often take the course of one or the other types of wisdom. And uh, James, as we walk through this book together, we've been looking at James repeatedly sort of rings the same bell. He continues to talk about that if you are a believer, if you do have faith, that it will result in certain activities or actions or fruit in your life. And so today is no different. We're going to look at the, the, the fruit of wisdom that should be evident in a believer's life. And, and I want you to see this in the context of Jesus' words there of two different roads. Let's look at this passage together, and without any further um, opening or, or any illustration, let me just dive into this passage and let this passage speak for itself this morning. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace." Now, before I jump into this, I I want you to see James is continuing to talk both to individual believers, but also to the church at large. And so we have to think about this today in this particular context of he's talking to you as an individual, not so much the person next to you, but I want you to hear that he's talking to you today as an individual. But then he goes out larger from that, and he says, not only am I talking to individual believers, but I'm also talking to believers who make up the entire body, this corporate gathering called the church. And you're going to see today, as we walk through this passage, that he's going to issue a test of wisdom, and then he's going to contrast the, the results or the outcome of following these, this, this wisdom. He's going to show us two different types of wisdom and which one you're following. And as a result, you're going to see whatever wisdom you're following, whatever wisdom we are following as a congregation, there will be some direct results that will come out of that. And I want you to see it in those two veins, you as an individual, but also us as a church together. So first, let's look at the test, the test of wisdom. Uh, He says in verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Notice then, after he asks that question, it's a rhetorical question, but he does not then ask for someone to, to give a list of what they know. He doesn't point to, a, to the intellect or to a body of knowledge. He's not ask, asking for you to, to take a, a, an essay exam where you can lay out for us the doctrine and theology that you understand. Instead, what he says is he doesn't point to the intellect or to a body of knowledge, but instead he says, let him show his works. And this has been the repeated theme throughout James is this issue of showing your faith. It ought to show up in your life. And he says here that you can show your faith. The true wisdom is shown in one of two ways. Well, both ways. First, it's shown by good conduct. Uh, One of my favorite shows, probably my favorite show of all time, TV show, is The Andy Griffith Show. Any other Andy Griffith fans out there? Uh, Part of the reason I like Andy Griffith is because growing up, my dad was the spitting image of Andy Griffith. 
You, many of you met my dad last week, and, and my dad has aged, and he doesn't quite look as much like Andy Griffith now. But when I was growing up, I mean, I might as well have been Opie. You know, I felt like my dad was Andy Griffith. Okay, so that's part of the reason why I like Andy Griffith. But the other reason I like Andy Griffith is because Andy was just always the good guy, wasn't he? I mean, he was always known by his good conduct. It didn't matter how much Goober or Gomer, depending on when you watch the show, came in and got on his nerves. He always had patience to love them and, and treat them well, even when, when uh, there was vacuuming going on in the middle of the house at night and, and he, he was frustrated, but he still loved him well. When, when Aunt B uh, decided to, uh, to enter the pickle-making contest and her pickles were horrible, they tasted like turpentine, he couldn't bear the thought of her being hurt, so he and Barney ate till they were sick of those pickles, right? When Barney was going to be embarrassed because he was not that much of a manly spe- specimen, he would somehow find a way to catch the bad guy but make it look like Barney did it, didn't he? This was good conduct. Now, I don't know whether Andy Griffith on the show was a believer or not. He went to church. But the Bible here tells us, James here tells us, that wisdom can be seen in good conduct. And this is the image that I want you to see. John MacArthur, in his commentary on this, says, As faith, as with faith, wisdom and understanding that are not demonstrated in righteous, godly living are devoid of any spiritual value. Let me say that again. If, if you're claiming to be wise, but you're not living in a godly way, then what you claim to be wisdom has no real value at all. He, he tells us here that wisdom can be seen in good conduct, but also it can be seen in a person who is meek, who works wisdom out with meekness. Now, this word meekness is, is a word that we don't often like. They didn't like it in the Greek culture then, and we don't necessarily like it now. We don't often think of a man being a powerful, strong man if he's meek. We put him in a category of being less than a man. We say things like, man up. But the reality is, to be meek is to be strong. This word is a word that was used to talk about horses that were broken and brought under the reins so that they would be useful for their owner. And what happens when you and I hear the the gospel, we hear the glorious good news that we who are sinful and condemned by God have the ability, the opportunity to receive grace from God in having our sins forgiven in the person and work of Jesus Christ, having His righteousness transferred to us and having our sin and our guilt transferred to Him, what happens is our rebellious will is broken. We are like that horse who is broken and has now come under the, the rule and the reign and has been made useful to its owner. We are under new ownership as believers. God has transformed us and given us a new nature that now is not rebellious, even though that rebellion still rears its ugly head from time to time. Now, our, as I heard one, one brother say yesterday, our want to has changed. Our willingness has come under the authority of the sovereignty of God. And James here says that this is what is true of wisdom. Wisdom can be seen in good conduct and in meekness, in someone who is humble. Now, we see this in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. It's the list of the fruits of the Spirit. And I told the deacons this weekend that I learned these, and these have stuck with me for years because I was at a camp one one year, and they sang the fruits of the Spirit in a song, and I'm not going to sing them for you. And I've, I've shared that with you before, but I can still to this day tell you these. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This word gentleness is the same word meekness. And so what I want you to hear is, you want to be wise? It's not up to you to say, okay, I'm going to be meek and grit your teeth and try to be meek because it can't be done. What happens is when the Spirit of God moves into your life as a believer, He produces the fruit of meekness in you. 
So James is here saying that if you are claiming to be wise, it will show up in the reality of the Spirit living within you who is producing in you good conduct and humility and meekness, gentleness. So then James goes on and he says, this is the test. Now, he says, Here, here's what's going to happen. You take this test. You're always taking this test as you live your life. I want to show you here, here are two outcomes that may happen. These are two test results that you may find true of your life. And he, he compares these two types of wisdom. I want you to notice that he calls both wisdom. First off is this. James begins to point to wisdom from below. Wisdom from below in verses 14 through 16, first off, he gives the characteristics. What does this wisdom from below look like? Well, he says there in verse 14 that it will make boasts, that it is a boasting wisdom. Now, isn't, isn't it true that in our culture today, boasting is celebrated? Um, you can't turn on sports. You'll, you know, I'm, I'm so excited about football, getting ready to start. Anybody else? Aren't you? I, I had a little worship service in my living room the other day when I found out that DirecTV had picked up the SEC network. Uh, I, was, I was thankful to God for that common grace the other day in my living room. And uh, uh, I, I'm so thankful for this. But one thing will be true when you watch football this season is when these young men, whether they are on the college football field or whether they are on the professional football field, will, when they score or when they make a tackle or when they do something good, they will celebrate. And they will not celebrate. Some of them will, but most of them will not celebrate the success of the team. Now, when they are in the interview after the fact, they will say, well, I've, I've, there's other guys out there on the field with me. It's all a team effort. And they'll try to appear humble. But when they are on the field and they have just ran that ball into the end zone, they will do a dance. And some of them should not do a dance, right? I was watching the other day a, um, one of those high school, top recruits, seven-on-seven type things on ESPN. And part of after they, when they ended their practice teaching these young men how to run routes and how to this and that, at the end of the practice, they, they brought Neon Dion on, and they taught these kids how to do this celebration dance. Isn't that, I mean, isn't that where we are? It, that, this is a culture that celebrates boasting. We celebrate it and we teach it to our children and say, that's what you should do because if, if you're going to be, be successful, then you've got to go out and get it and you've got to make it happen and nobody else is going to be there to, to be able to take the credit for you. You take it for yourself. Hog the glory. And James says, this is the wisdom that's not from above, but it is the wisdom from below and it boasts. Not only that, but he says this wisdom from below is hypocritical. That it is filled with hypocrisy. He says that, look, when you boast like this and you're claiming to be wise, he's just told them true wisdom will show up in good conduct and being meek. But when you boast like this and claiming to be wise, you are lying about what's true. You are saying something that's false to the truth. You're showing the world what they already know, that you claim to be wise, but you're really not, according to Scripture. You are a hypocrite. It doesn't take a genius to recognize uh, hypocritical behavior. Uh, my 15-year-old son, soon to be 16-year-old son, uh, and I were having a conversation the other day about things that he sees at school and things that he sees here and there. And, and it's, it's, it, doesn't take, it doesn't take someone who's mature in the faith to recognize hypocrisy because we see it all around us. In fact, we see it oftentimes when we look in the mirror, don't we? When we parade around to be something that we are, are really not, and we come home and we look at ourselves in the mirror and we know the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. We know the evil that we think. And as Ethan said this morning, and I'm so thankful for the reminder, that when we see that and we see this hypocrisy and weakness in us, it should remind us, I think maybe Ethan or Greg both said this, that it reminds us of our need for a Savior. James says, though, if you are boasting, then this is not wisdom from above. This is wisdom from below. Then he goes on and he says, there are some other things that are true of this wisdom from below. It is earthly, he says. This word earthly, is, it, it, 
it means literally those things that are limited to right here, right now. It, it's simply those things that, that man can see and touch, what he can invent and what he can discover. If he can't see it or touch it or smell it or, or, or taste it or if he can't add it up or whatever, he, he doesn't believe it. And the wisdom that is earthly is not wisdom from above, it is wisdom from below. We live in a day where we are told that we are foolish and that we are lightheaded, I guess, because we follow this God. And they say, you can't see him, you can't touch him, you can't prove to me he exists. And they're right, I can't prove to him that, that, that he exists, but I know he exists. Because he lives in me. You look around at creation, and how could you possibly look at creation and say, that just, that just happened? That's just the result of some explosion somewhere. It's, it's the result of billions of years. It's the equivalent of me taking a bunch of parts that I buy at a hardware store, putting them in a brown paper sack, and shaking them together, and then opening the sack and expecting to pull out a, a, a wristwatch to strap on my arm. You look at creation and you say, no, there is design there. And where there is design, there is a designer. And James says, this wisdom that is from below says, no, if I can't see it or touch it or taste it or smell it or add it or, or invent it, no, it's not real. He says, this wisdom from below is unspiritual. This word unspiritual means it's only natural. It's of the senses. It is, it is sensual. It is fleshly. This has to do with the feelings, with desires, with appetites. And how many people are living today according to their appetite? All they do is run from craving to craving, whether that be food, or whether that be sex, or whether that be entertainment. Whatever the case may be, they run from appetite to appetite. And guess where this comes from? James says, this is not from above, it is from below. And then he puts the nail in the coffin on this type of wisdom, and he says, this wisdom is demonic. Let me tell you something. Church, it is possible, it is entirely possible for a person to be so deceived that, that they can think that they are following their own wisdom when all along they have simply been led astray and have fallen prey to the temptations of those that fell with Satan. The wisdom from below is nothing more than the foolishness of demons. Satan has always offered wisdom to those that he tempts, hasn't he? If you go back to the garden when, when Satan came to Eve in the form of that serpent and he came to her and he began to talk to her about that fruit on the tree... He said, you should take that. And we can't take that. If we take that, we're not even to, we can't eat that. We're not even supposed to, to touch it. We can't look at it. Nothing or else we'll die. The serpent, Satan, said to Eve, you won't die. God knows that when you eat of that fruit, you will be made wise like he is. And Satan has always promised wisdom to those whom he tempts. In the middle of temptation, whatever he's tempting you with always carries this promise of, this is good for me. I have a right to this. This will help me out in the long run. I deserve this. Doesn't it? Don't fall for this trap from Satan who offers you wisdom but leaves you wanting in the end. The wisdom that is from below is nothing more than the foolishness of demons. Well, this is what wisdom from below looks like. It's boasting, it's hypocrisy, it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. But then he turns and he says, but this is what it looks like, but here's where it comes from. Here's the motive, the motivation for this type of wisdom. In verse 14, the first part, he says that where there is bitter jealousy. Now, when we read that, we have, to, we have to come to this place where this word jealousy in Scripture is not always used in a negative way. There is a good type of jealousy. The Bible talks about that God is jealous. The Bible talks in Exodus 20 
that you shall have no other gods. You shall, you shall not make any carved images. You cannot bow down to them, for I am a jealous God. God was so jealous for His own glory that He forbid His people to be affiliated with the nations around. You say, well, isn't that kind of insecure of God to, to be that way? No, it's, it's just true of God. God says there should be no other gods before me because there is nothing higher than God. What else would you have God to worship than God? Should God give His loyalty to something else? Should God turn His affection to something else? Should He want you to turn your affection to something else? If God is God and there is no one higher, no one better, if there is no one more powerful, if there is no other sovereign, then He would be wrong not to be jealous for His own glory. This jealousy enraged Jesus when he was in the temple and the, and the money changers were making a mockery of the sacrificial system. And the Bible says that, that he was consumed with jealousy for God in that place. That's what drove him to drive them from that temple. And that's a good kind of jealousy. We ought to... We ought to experience that type of jealousy where when we see friends and neighbors and co-workers that are giving their loyalty and their affection and their lives to lesser things, it ought to cause us to say, oh, that should not be. But this is not that type of jealousy. James says this wisdom from below is not motivated in a good jealousy, and we know this because he puts this little word in front of it and it is bitter. This is bitter jealousy. This is not holy jealousy. This is bitter jealousy. It's the word that he just used in last week's passage when he talked about this salt water coming from a fresh spring. It's bitter water. It's water that is no good. One commentator said this, that when jealousy is, is in a person's life, it's, it's envy. And he says, envy is an ulcer. Envy is a gnawing sorrow people suffer because someone has something that they don't. Isn't that true? You see somebody that has something that you think you ought to have, that you want so badly, and all of a sudden, envy begins to creep in. Jealousy begins to creep in. And you begin to think, I should have that. I can't believe they get to have that. How come come everybody else gets everything and I don't? And it gnaws at you. And it eats you alive from the inside because you want something that does not rightfully belong to you. Do you believe that God, in His sovereign mercy and love and wisdom, knows what you need? If so, then why should we ever become jealous because someone else has something that we don't? See, God is jealous because He rightfully owns glory. We become jealous because we don't have things that we think we should. James says this is the motivation for so much of the wisdom that is from below. But he also says, he goes on and he he says, besides bitter jealousy, there is also selfish ambition. This is extreme selfishness. I don't intend this to be funny. You may get a chuckle out of this. But uh, this this word, this selfish ambition, this extreme selfishness, was a phrase that came to be used of politicians that were willing to do anything necessary Say anything necessary to gain office. And some things don't change, do they? I want you to notice that he says here the motives for wisdom from below are bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, but notice where they are located. What does it say there in verse 14? If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, where? In your hearts. And this goes back to what I talked about last week, that the issue is not necessarily your tongue, but it's your heart. Here he says, the issue is not necessarily these outward things, but it's your heart. For the sin-sick, lost person, there is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition because their heart is diseased. What are the outcomes of this wisdom from below? The outcomes... Uh, are at least two. 
And he, I just want to remind you that uh, he gives these to us as individuals, that if we live by this worldly wisdom, they will, they will have individual outcomes and effects on our life, but also they will impact the life of the body as we exist together. If we operate by this wisdom from below, these things will be true of us as a church. So he said, what are the outcomes? First of all, disorder. Disorder. This is a word that means instability. It's a state of confusion or disturbance or disarray. It's, it's something that is just always up in arms. It's, John MacArthur said, those whose lives are based on and motivated by human ungodly wisdom, this wisdom from below, are inevitably self-centered, living in a world in which their own personal ideas Desires and standards are the measure of everything. And this is what worldly wisdom produces. It makes you at the center. You are your God. And what you want is law. And if, if anything gets in the way of that, then it becomes an enemy. If anyone gets in the way of what you want, then it, it becomes your enemy. If something helps you in that, then it becomes your ally. If something or someone helps you in that, then it becomes friendly and good. But don't let anything get in the way. The person who lives by this wisdom from below resents anyone or anything that comes between their own objectives. And look, I thank God that I'm your pastor. I thank God that we are where we are today as a congregation. I know that we've got a long way to go. God is not through with us, as Ethan and Greg have both said. We could all look back to times where we have seen people and we could still see people act in such a way that they had their own objectives. And if anything got in the way of that, then that person or that thing became an enemy. Now, I know this hits close to home. But this is the reality of wisdom from below. We must be a people that say to ourselves, we're going to look at, at wisdom from above in just a minute, that say to ourselves, God, help us by your grace to follow your wisdom. I don't want to be boastful. I don't want to be hypocritical. I don't want to be earthly or unspiritual or demonic. We don't want that as a church. We don't want there to be division among us or unrest or instability or state of confusion or disturbance or disarray. And he goes on and he says, the second outcome to this will be every vile practice. Now, when you're following the wisdom of the world that says... Nobody's going to be in your corner. If it's going to be, then you've got to make it happen. You go out and you take care of yourself. Now listen, if there is no God, then that makes sense. If there is no God in heaven and we are following a lie, then every one of us should look out for number one. But if there is a God, if there is a God, then that's not true. Where we follow the wisdom of the world, this wisdom from below, Galatians 5, that same passage that talks about the fruits of the Spirit, those few verses before it say this, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. The writer there in Galatians, Paul says, look, I can go on and on, but I'm going to cut the list right there because you can justify any evil if you follow the, the wisdom of this world. And this is where it leads, James says. doesn't matter what you want to do. If you follow the wisdom of the world, you can come up with a reason why you ought to be able to do it. Now, sake of time, let me just move on to the wisdom from above. James then goes on, and, and he's, he's not painted the wisdom from below in a very positive light because he wants you to see the glory of following God's way, the wisdom from above. The characteristics of wisdom from above, what it is like, he says it's pure. The Christians are to be separate from the world. We're not to be separate from them in that we 
pull ourselves out and we, we all go into hiding and we become preppers and we just build holes in the ground and live forever and, and just never have to t- talk to people, we should still go to work and put our kids on ball teams and, and, and go see you know, whatever and, and, and live in this world, but we ought to do so in a way that is separate. That a person looking at us says, there's something that's different about you. It ought to show up in the, in, in the things that we watch. You know, I, I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm very disturbed about the, uh, the movie that's going to be coming out, this Fifty Shades of Grey movie. For the believer, ladies, you have no place to go see that movie. You ought to be characterized by, a per, by, by this quality that says, my God's holy Therefore, I will not let my eyes look on uncleanness. Men, you have no business on your computers looking at some of the things that you're looking at. Because God is holy and he calls you to purity. James says, this wisdom from above is first pure. He says, then it's peaceable. This wisdom, this wisdom says, it's not got to be my way or the highway, but instead, I'm going to do everything I can to make peace with my brother or my sister. I want to live in harmony because we are brought together at the foot of the cross. The gospel is what joins us and unites us. Therefore, I can put, a, I can put aside, I can put down my own preferences or my own desires or my own wants because I want to serve my brother in this. The wisdom from above is pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle. Turn over, if you will, to, to Matthew chapter 5. I didn't take the time to, to put this into my notes, but I'll read this for you. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, beginning in verse 5, he, he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so, they are, are pers- for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I read that to you because it's almost as if James has this in mind as he's writing this. It's, it's almost, Galatians was probably written after James wrote his letter, but it's, if, if it weren't that way, it's almost as if he had that list of the fruits of the Spirit in mind when he wrote about the wisdom from below, and this wisdom from above, he has this Sermon on the Mount from Jesus almost in mind. Remember, Jesus is his older half-brother. And maybe he's thinking back, and, and it's so obvious that the words, the teachings of his older brother are shaping so much of what he's giving to us now. What he says there, when a person, this wisdom from above is gentle, it means that when you are persecuted, when you are reviled for righteousness' sake, for your faith, that the Spirit produces within you a gentleness. Now, have we ever seen this in anyone? Can we, can we honestly say that anybody was ever able to pull this off? Absolutely. You can look back through church history and you can see believers who have, who have gone to their deaths. They've gone to, to, to have their heads separated from their bodies. They've gone to hang from ropes. They've gone to be disemboweled or sewn into the carcasses of animals to have lions released on them. And they have sang on their way there and blessed their persecutors on the way there. But before them, the reason they are able to go and do that is because they were looking back at Jesus. And Jesus, while he was being tortured and beaten and bloodied and spit upon and mocked and nailed to a cross, Jesus himself, in a meek and gentle way, said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. This is what the Spirit of God produces in a believer. 
James says this wisdom from above is pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's open to reason, which means it's teachable. Somebody can confront you when, when you're living in a way that is contrary to the gospel and you're, you're off in sinful behavior or you're beginning to stray, you ought to, you, the Spirit should produce within you a welcomeness for someone, a brother or sister, to approach you and call you back from it. It doesn't mean that you'll always respond that way. Sometimes because you, you love your sin, you will react in some ways violently and maybe it might take you getting away from them for a few hours or a day or so till you realize that they only meant good. And the Spirit of God works through their witness to you and brings you back to Him. He says this wisdom from above is full of mercy. It's the picture of the Good Samaritan who, when others pass by, this wounded man in need, he goes out of his way, even though he's hated by the very man that he ministers to and bends down and meets the needs, goes out of his way to do this. He extends mercy. Wisdom from above is full of good fruits. Again, pointing to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It produces these things in you. James says, wisdom from above is impartial. This word could be translated a couple different ways. Probably impartial may not be the best translation. Other versions, maybe your version has something like unwavering or without doubt. And probably in the context of James, who is telling us that our faith should be demonstrated and shown, he's probably more talking about someone, the Spirit producing in you this unwavering, undoubting mind. Now, does that mean that the Christian can never have doubts? No. Because we still live in this world and we have not been fully redeemed yet. Oh, we've been redeemed in the fact that we, as Christians, have, have been brought into the family of God, but our bodies will one day be redeemed as well. And our bodies will be fit for eternity and they will be transformed and set loose from the death that, that hangs on these bodies and the aging and the sickness that comes to these bodies. And part of that sickness sometimes is the weakness of our minds that at times can allow doubt to creep in. James doesn't say that we must be perfect in these things. Instead, what he says is these ought to be the trajectory of your life. It ought to be the overall direction that you are heading. And then he says this wisdom from above is sincere. That word sincere means not playing a part. It comes from the world of drama or theater. And it, it was it, when someone would play a part, they would put a mask on and they would take a role and they would be something that they were not. And what James is saying here is that wisdom from above means that you're the same no matter who you're around. Whatever's going on. It doesn't matter who is, is around. You're with your, your, your church family and you're one way. You're, you're at your workplace and you act and, and behave a different way. Then you are behaving according to the wisdom that is from below. We ought to be people. I know there are relationship here, relationships here that allow us to be a little freer. But it should not change your character your behavior when you're around different people. James says the wisdom from above is sincere. It does not play a part. So James says the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle. It's open to reason. It is full of mercy and good fruits. It is impartial and it is sincere. And then he turns and he says, and there are some motives from which this wisdom comes. He says, first of all, it comes not from within you, but instead it comes from above. Verse 17 there says, from above. What this points to is the fact that these things God calls us to, this wisdom from above, that we say, oh, that sounds wonderful, until I look at myself in the mirror and realize that I can't do this. God says, good news for you. I knew you couldn't. That's why I sent you the wisdom from above. This motive comes from a person who has been radically captured by Christ and he has become beautiful to them. And they depend on his wisdom to fill them and to flow through them. And he says also there is another motive and it is the motive of peace. 
You see this down in the latter part of verse 18 when he says, A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The motive is to make peace. It's sown in peace. What happens in a church that is filled with a congregation, it's filled with believers who are seeing the the fruit of wisdom from above produced in its life, what happens is peace comes. It's the opposite of what we see as the result in, in verse 14, where bitter jealousy and selfish ambition are. You boast in false truth. You go down to verse 16, there will be disorder. It's the opposite of disorder. James says, this motivation for this cannot come from within you. Our world today wants to say, this is worldly wisdom. Look, just put a smile on your face. Tell yourself you're all right. Reach down in and pull the goodness that's within you out. You'll be okay. You've got to think positive. The reality is it's garbage. Because at the end of the day, the very people that are telling you this go home and look at themselves in the mirror and know it's not even true about them. James says that of this wisdom that is from above, there are some outcomes of it. Number one, and again, I just want to remind you, this is, he's talking to individual believers as well as to us as a congregation. Number one, verse 18, there will be a harvest of righteousness. This harvest of righteousness. Righteousness flourishes when God's people seek peace. We will become more pure as we become more unified. Unified not meaning that we will just lay down everything that we believe and all of our convictions and we'll just agree on everything regardless of, of, of whatever it is. I'm not talking about that type of unity. I'm talking about unity around the cross of Christ and the Word of God. When we are unified around those things, God's Word is the authority here, then what happens is we can lay down some of our own preferences and we can seek to make peace. And what happens is there is righteousness that will sweep through this congregation. And it will not be immediate and it will not be quick, but we will stir one another on to love and good works. Secondly, he says that in this congregation there will be peace. There's going to be righteousness. There's going to be peace. In the life of a believer who goes from following the wisdom of the world and finds his life constantly in disorder, he can't seem to ever get any peace. He begins to, he turns to Christ, turns from his sin and trusts Christ alone, has the Spirit of God move into him, who produces this fruit of wisdom from above in his life. And what he finds is this peace that he was chasing before that he never could find begins to fill his life. Daniel Doriani, who wrote one of the commentaries that I've used in in preparing for this whole series, um, said this, If there is no God, then we should care for ourselves by grasping whatever we can, however we can. We should expect unbelievers to envy and strive against others. But if believers struggle, if believers struggle with envy and godless ambition, it is because we fail to see our status as beloved children of God. And let me tell you something, I think that's true. I think, I think there is reason. I think James gives us reason to say, look, if these things are not true of you, it's, it's probably because you're not really a believer. I think there's reason for you to examine your faith. And if, and if you're constantly following this wisdom of the world, it's boasting, it's hypocritical, it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic, then you ought to say, I don't think I'm a believer. But Doriani here gives us the possibility, opens the door to say it is possible, and I think this is true, for a true believer to have a misunderstanding about who he really is in Christ. He goes on and he says, We should choose the way of wisdom, yet we do not have the power in ourselves to do so. So by grace, God's wisdom comes down to us. And and I want to tell you that as I thought about that, it's exactly right. When I walk through this passage and I hear James talk about this wisdom that's from above, it's true that we could not do these things. We, could, we, can't, we can't earn our way into good graces with God. You can't do it. You'll never be able to do it. 
the reality is God has given his, his wisdom from above in a number of ways. Number one, he sent Jesus. Look, you and I wouldn't be standing here today having this conversation about wisdom from above if he had not sent Christ. We would all be condemned and headed to hell. But God in his mercy sent Jesus. Jesus in his love obeyed the Father. And he came and he lived a righteous life. He lived a life according not to the wisdom of the day or the wisdom from below, even though Satan tried to tempt him the same way that he tried to tempt Eve. Instead, he pushed that off and he said, I will live according to the wisdom from above. And he listened to the Father and he submitted himself to the will of the Father. For you, for me, on our behalf, he came. He is, by very definition, the wisdom of God. He calls himself the Word. He calls himself life. God has sent us his wisdom in the person of Christ. Not only that, but he sent us his wisdom from above in the words of Scripture. And some of you can't figure out why your, your life seems to be in disorder and disarray and, and in a state of confusion all the time. And it's because you come in here maybe and you, you listen to me and you, maybe you open your, your Bible or you turn your Bible on and you turn to the passage for, for today. But then you close this thing up and then you go out your way and you never go back to the Word of God until you come back in here and you expect for me to be able to spoon-feed you enough that's going to last you all week long. And you wonder why your life is in such disarray and a state of confusion when God says, this is my word, it's sweeter than honey. Take and eat. Child of God, please hear me on this. Don't ignore or neglect the word of wisdom. Hide this in your heart. Meditate on this. Let your life saturate in this. This is wisdom from above. You will read things in here that sound so contrary to the wisdom of our current day. But didn't you hear me just say of where the wisdom of our current day leads to? Not only has God sent down wisdom in the person of Christ and wisdom in, the, in, the, in the, the, the words of His Scripture, but also you say, well, I'm just not very good at understanding what's there. Well, i got good news for you. He also sent down the Spirit of God to live within you to be your teacher and your guide. You come before a passage and it will scare you because you will have read it a thousand times, but you will read over it again, and the Spirit of God will almost as if he's shining light from heaven down on it, that he's taken that divine highlighter and he's just marked this thing out for you. It's almost as if he's taken that pen and he's come over to the side and he's just written out specifically, this is what this means. And all of a sudden it becomes so crystal clear for you. Where does that come from? It is the wisdom of the Spirit of God that is a gift of the Father for us in this journey. Let me just close with a passage. I know I'm running late, but let me read to you this, this passage. We just read James 3, 13 through 18. I love it when the, the numbers line up. Let me just read to you Proverbs 3, 13 through 18. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. And the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed." Child of God, you're going to be bombarded and tempted to follow all sorts of ways of wisdom of the world. But there is a true wisdom that will be marked in your life as you live in good conduct to the glory and honor of your God in the meekness of wisdom. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that, Lord, your gifts are good.
Lord, I thank you that you are good, that you are always good, that you can always be trusted and always followed. Lord God, I pray that you call us out of following the world and following the wisdom that is from below. And God, that you would make us people of, that are wise, that turn to your word and look for it to guide us, that trust your spirit to be our teacher and our guide. Lord, I, I thank you today that, that I can confidently say that you are indeed the one who has saved me. That you are producing within me all of these things that we've talked about. That you are producing within me a purity. You've made me pure. You've given me a new heart. And God, you are at the same time working that out in my life. And God, I thank you for that. And I thank you for what you're doing in the lives of all these who sit out here. God, I pray that you'd continue to do that. Lord, help us, God. Empower us. Teach us to follow you. I pray all this in your name. Amen. We want to give you an opportunity to respond. I I don't know how you might respond to this. You may respond in different ways. Maybe you're here and, and you are not a believer. But you've come today to realize that Boy, your life, you're, you're following the wisdom of the world. It's not from above. And it is headed for destruction. You are on that broad road that everyone says is the right road to be on. But nobody is willing to admit where it ends up. And today you realize that and you realize that your only hope is to turn and begin to trust Christ To say, Christ, I don't deserve to be able to turn around. I don't deserve to be brought into your family. I don't deserve to be forgiven. But Jesus, if you would, I would love for you to save me. And begin to follow him. The Spirit, the same Spirit that comes to teach you and to guide you will also empower you to follow Christ. If that's you here today, I'm going to be seated right down here on the front and I would love for you to come and and Just speak to me this morning. We can begin this conversation. I can lead you today to trust Christ. Maybe you're here today and and there's just some things in your life. You are a believer, but you've just seen yourself wrongly. You've been following some ways that are false, thinking that it was a wise path for you, but you realize today that it's, it's, it's not right. It's not the place for a believer to be. And today, you just need to, right where you are, just repent of that. Turn from it. And again, just trust Christ. You can do that where you're seated. You can come. You can kneel across the front. Again, you can come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you. There will be people that will be out in this room that is out this door to the left that's a prayer room. They'd be glad to pray with you. They'd be glad to talk with you and encourage you in your pursuit of following Christ. You may have questions that you don't necessarily want to come and ask me, but you could possibly open up to another believer. I was convicted this week that as believers, every one of us as believers has the Spirit of God residing within us. And we've all been given the Word of God. And so you may want to open up to a believer who can help you in this. If they don't have the answers and they can't help you, then they can... Come get someone who might be able to. But whatever it is that God is calling you to today out of this passage, I'm going to ask you to respond in obedience, to say yes to whatever God is leading. You won't be sorry that you did. You won't be sorry. As you follow Christ, you're going to find that your life will be filled with peace. It doesn't mean that things will always go your way. But there will be a peace that transcends all circumstances. Circumstances. There will be a joy that cannot be stolen from you. There will be a fullness where there once was an emptiness. Because only Christ can do all those things. Come to him. Respond and worship to Him. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.